This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Good evening from Charleston, I'm Eric Douglas. Tonight on the Legislature Today, abortion access and a controversial education bill. But first, today it looked like SB 574 was poised to be the first bill to fail this year. The Republican-sponsored bill would raise the premiums for non-state employee PEIA members, increasing the reimbursement rates for hospital stays. The bill failed this morning in the Senate. The body took a break, and then Senator Bill Hamilton moved to reconsider the bill. Ultimately, the bill was sent to the Senate Rules Committee for additional reconsideration. In heated remarks, Senator Ron Stallings, a Democrat from Boone County, criticized the move, while Senate President Craig Blair defended the procedure. Here are other highlights from floor sessions this week. Last week, the Senate approved a measure to decertify the state's 1972 passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. On Monday, Delegate Sean Fluherty, a Democrat from Ohio County, attempted to block the House from receiving the message from the Senate. Happy Valentine's Day, West Virginia women. Happy Valentine's Day. The West Virginia legislature thinks you don't count. That's the message we're sending. That's the message we're sending to our children right here in front of me. It's disgusting. You can have your roses, you can wear your red, but how you act is what's important. Delegate Diana Graves, a Republican from Kanawha County, agreed that it was troubling that we had to debate the ERA, but she said she felt that there were bigger issues at play, especially since the time period to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment passed in 1979. We should allow this to go through the committee process and decide if we want to let Nancy Pelosi determine for us that time limits don't matter if we put time limits in in, in legislation. I happen to think that the way we craft legislation at the federal or the state level, it matters if you put time limits in it. And I think that we should allow it to go through the committee process and not be diverted, uh, you know, about what this really is. So uh, I'd like to urge rejection of the honorable gentleman's motion. Ultimately, the House voted to receive the resolution from the Senate and send it to the Rules Committee for further discussion. In the other chamber, senators discussed House Bill 4007 that reduces the state income tax by 10 percent. Senator Robert Carnes, a Republican from Randolph County, supports the bill. House Bill 4007 is the start. It's the down payment on what we've been talking about since 2017 reducing and eliminating West Virginia state income tax. There's nothing that we can do that's going to be more powerful for lighting our economy, for igniting our economy, than reducing and eliminating our state income tax. But Senator Mike Wolfel, a Democrat from Cabell County, expressed concern that the poorest in the state would benefit the least. The personal income tax uh, proposal uh, that we've heard advocated for today, the reduction, is another example of Correlation does not equal causation. Now, no one sent us, the 34 of us up here, to lower our own taxes. 
This personal income tax reduction will benefit, if we enact it, a lot of people in this room. And it will not benefit the people that are carrying our state forward in the working class, the middle class. And I'm going to challenge each of us, Mr. President, when this bill does come up, I'm going to find a way through a rule or through an amendment for people to acknowledge and reveal how many tens, how many thousands of dollars they personally will save if this tax is reduced. Because all this does is reduce tax for the people in our state that are doing the best. House Bill 4007 is currently in the Senate Finance Committee. Good morning, everyone. Abortion was another topic that received much debate this week. The House took up and passed House Bill 4004, which would outlaw abortion beyond 15 weeks of pregnancy. To talk more about this bill is Appalachia Health reporter June Leffler. So, June, explain to me what House Bill 4004 would do and what would it do if it become a law? This bill would ban abortions performed after 15 weeks of pregnancy. We already have a 20-week abortion ban on the books, so you can think of that five-week frame um, as a restriction that's placed on abortion. There are exceptions. Uh, if a woman's life is in danger, an abortion can be performed. Um, if the fetus has no chance of surviving, then abortion is okay. And these are both exceptions that are very important to the bill's sponsor, Republican Delegate Ruth Rowan of Hampshire County. Um, I will say that these exceptions are pretty limited. They're strict. Um, if a woman found out that she was gonna have a baby that would have Down syndrome or any other special needs, um, or even a debilitating disease for the rest of their life, um, but would be born and, you know, would survive, viable, yeah, then that's okay. Um, and then also OBGYNs say uh, even the exception for uh, the life of a mother, even that has some gray areas to it that they're a little concerned about. Okay. So what would be the impacts to women if this becomes a law? So abortion is a very time sensitive issue. Um, think about a woman finding out she's pregnant at the absolute earliest at four weeks, six weeks being much more realistic. Um, and then she has to figure out all these things before she gets a procedure done. Um, how, how is she going to pay for it? Because low-income women can no longer pay for this procedure with their Medicaid. Um, so they end up having to scrounge up money um, to pay for a procedure that does cost more um, the longer the pregnancy goes on. And then they also have to do, you know, other things like find childcare if they need it, take the day off work. And if they're not living in Charleston, because we only have one abortion clinic, they have to find lodging and transportation. Um, so, you know, it, t it takes a lot of work to get an abortion in the state. And anytime you restrict the time length um, of when someone can get an abortion, um, that's a huge restriction because it is so time sensitive. And that would result in women having to go out of state um, if they need that procedure. You know, that kind of refers to women that decide they don't want to have this pregnancy. But there are also women that are going to decide they want to have a pregnancy, they want to become a parent, and even they could be impacted by this bill. So um, I talked to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They oppose this bill. 
I talked to Dr. Anna Banfield, who's the vice chair there, and she said, um, you know, there can be pregnancy complications that arise post 15 weeks um, that put a patient in a very tough situation. Um, and a doctor would love to inform that patient that, look, abortion is an option if you don't want to continue this pregnancy and not have to go through um, some severe symptoms. But the doctor might feel compelled to not have that conversation instead because of this law um, and have to wait until that patient develops acute symptoms. So an infection, a fever, and basically delay life-saving care for someone. Um, and because if they don't, they are at risk of losing their license. And I will say that, you know, this law is not going to put any woman in jail. What it could do is take away licenses from OBGYNs, other medical practitioners, um, and you know, cause a chilling effect for our doctors. So if the state already has a 20-week ban, what's the value, what's the point of proposing a 15-week ban? So every year that pro-life legislation is unveiled um, and adopted, it always chips away at abortion access. It never is a complete repeal. Um, so that's just the way um, pro-life um, people do this. There is a clip of Democratic delegate Kayla Young that we're gonna see, and she's asking the same question you're asking, Eric. Um, and then she gets a response from the bill's lead sponsor, Ruth Rowan. But my friend, over there alluded to life starting in the womb, and I would agree that that's typically the, the pro-life stance, correct? Well, I think that's reality. Okay. Um, so then why not just ban it all together? Why 15 weeks? Well, uh, in answering that, I can say uh, France and Germany have uh, uh, decided 12 weeks was far enough. Why don't we select 12 weeks? So I think it's a beginning. I think it's a good start. So Rowan and other pro-lifers want a total ban. That is the end goal. And this is just one more way to inch towards that. Lawmakers debated this, this on the House floor for an hour and a half. Uh, what arguments did both sides bring up? I'd like to mention an amendment that Democrats presented that would have allowed exceptions in the case of rape or incest. Um, but that, that amendment failed and we're gonna see Republican Delegate Kayla Kessinger um, speaking to why she voted down that amendment. I believe that circumstances surrounding conception should never determine the value of human life. If we believe that life starts in the womb, then it is our obligation to protect and defend life regardless of the circumstances surrounding conception. So this is a very memorable piece of tape for me and I think however you react to this piece of tape, um, is really a litmus test for where you fall on the abortion debate. And it's clear, based on how Republicans voted on this amendment, um, that, you know, overwhelmingly, um, that the party is holding true to a very hardline idea of what pro-life is. Sure. So where does the bill stand today? So it's passed the House. That means it will go to the Senate's Health Committee after that to Judiciary. Um, and if it makes it to the Senate floor and is approved there, you know, has a chance at becoming law. Um, the only thing I'll say is the U.S. Supreme Court is taking up a similar 15-week abortion ban for Mississippi. So this is, we're, we're going to know 
um, this summer in answer to the question of, is this kind of bill even um, constitutional? Okay, so the House also passed Bill 4005, which is a related bill. Tell me about that real fast. This bill doesn't have any impact on women that are seeking abortions. Um, the only possible impact it could have is on providers that, you know, would in theory be selling these um, parts. But there is already federal legislation that says you cannot sell these parts. Um, and when I talked to uh, Women's Health Center, the abortion clinic that we have here, they're saying, you know, this has no impact on us. Fair enough. Thank you for coming on today, June. I really appreciate it. Thank you. House Bill 4011 would establish the Anti-Stereotyping Act in West Virginia schools, and it's drawn its share of controversy. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit the teaching that one race is superior or inferior to another. Teachers who have classes related to issues of non-discrimination, diversity, race, or sex would need to post their name and training materials on the school's website. While the bill does not directly say critical race theory, the language of the bill echoes other legislation introduced around the country. Liz McCormick spoke this week with the bill's lead sponsor, Delegate Chris Pritt, a Republican from Kanawha County, and Delegate Sean Hornbuckle, the minority chair of the House Education Committee, a Democrat from Cabell County. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Um, Delegate Pritt, I would like to begin with you as lead sponsor of House Bill 4011. There was a public hearing this month on the bill. 24 people spoke, um, spoke against it, while only two spoke in favor. Opponents say the bill will outlaw honest conversations in our classrooms about the role of race in society, past and present. Why did you introduce this bill this session? The basis for us introducing the bill was initially what we were hearing about a lot of things going on throughout the country, things along the lines of um, certain what we consider to be divisive concepts were being talked about, uh, things along the lines of um, what we would categorize and characterize as stereotyping. And that's what the bill really does. It's an anti-stereotyping act. And what it says is essentially that um, you cannot stereotype based on race, gender, ethnicity, and so forth. It says that uh, you cannot stereotype that one race, gender, or ethnicity is inherently superior or inferior. It says that one's moral character is not based on one's race or ethnicity. It says that um, one person cannot necessarily be blamed for what their ancestors did. Okay, that's that's one component to the bill. The other part of the bill uh, is, is one that allows for transparency. It says that in, when you are going to be talking about certain concepts, there needs to be some transparency. Some things have to be put out there in the public. And the reason that we had we put this out there, the reason we need this bill, is not only what we've been hearing about um, throughout the country, uh, but also what we've been hearing about for several examples of that, that sort of thing going on in the state of West Virginia. And that was um, that's the reason why we need this bill. Delegate Pro, while this is not mentioned in the bill, um, opponents are calling this an anti-critical race theory bill. Uh, education officials have told lawmakers that critical race theory is not being taught in West Virginia schools. Um, and for those who are unfamiliar, I should say that Education Week defines critical race theory as a theory that racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. Now, you didn't mention critical race theory, it's not in the bill, but is this bill aimed at 
that idea of critical race theory? Do you believe that that's being taught in our, our schools here in West Virginia? The bill is being aimed at exactly what we're trying to address and what's specifically referenced in the bill. Uh, the, the, the problem that you have when you get into, for example, the concept of critical race theory is that it means different things to different people. I mean, it's a loaded word. It's a loaded concept. And different individuals have different ideas as to what that means. So it, there's a reason why it's not mentioned in there is because there's not, a, as far as we're concerned, a, a precise, sound definition of what it is. We're trying to address specific things that are out there that are being taught in the public schools um, in West Virginia and throughout the country. So uh, you could say that it's to address CRT, but it's really more broad than that. It's to address certain concepts that uh, along the lines of stereotyping uh, that we don't think should be taught in the public schools. Um, Delegate Hornbuckle, why do you and your party oppose House Bill 4011? Um, as Delegate Pritt, Pritt outlined, um, it's to tackle stereotyping in schools and to, uh, and, and then we're hearing from proponents of the bill that it's about transparency, it's about keeping parents informed about what their children are learning. Why do you oppose this? Why does your party oppose this? Well, I would say not just the party, but I would say probably most reasonable thinking folks. Uh, a couple of reasons why that is, is one, uh, Delegate Pritt talked about CRT. We all know there's no uh, a consistent definition of this, and we actually explored that during interims. Uh, there is also, you brought up transparency. Uh, our party, our Democrat caucus that was in education, uh, we thought it was awfully uh, peculiar uh, that on a bill that we're talking about transparency, uh, we stopped the debate on the bill uh, so that we couldn't be transparent. And so we believe there's something there that's there that we really didn't want to get out in the public. Uh, we also, there are no instances, occurrences of anywhere of these things in our curriculum. Uh, you've never heard of it in my district or any of my, my colleagues' districts uh, that we are actively in any way for shape or fashion in our state or are teaching that any race or anybody is better than anyone. Uh, that, that just uh, categorically isn't true. Uh, we do know that across the U.S. there has been some who have been uh, opponents of quote-unquote CRT, uh, they've sort of sharpened their pencil a little bit uh, to not call it CRT. And, and most of this, we believe, is just political football. Uh, we also saw that in Virginia, uh, they won a governor's race uh, by uh, talking about these things and purporting myths. And, and so we, we understand this is a political play, uh, but we also, you know, number one, uh, it almost, you know, vilifies the teacher. Uh, they have to do so many things and jump so many hurdles. And keep in mind, it, it is just on uh, matters of diversity, inclusion, uh, equity. And, and so uh, if we're talking about transparency, well, why do you not want to find out what the curriculum is like in, in math or reading or science? Uh, again, uh, I think that uh, the public understands what this issue is about, uh, and we just can't let our children uh, suffer for that. Uh, Delegate Pritt, uh Delegate Hornbuckle mentioned um, the teachers, uh, and I, I want to go back to the, the public hearing that happened earlier this month. We did hear from some teachers speak during that hearing, um, and there was one who said that they feel this bill will hamstring educators, um, that this bill will limit free speech and critical thinking. What is your reaction to what teachers are saying to this bill? Well, I should say, I think I would rephrase that. I would say that some teachers perhaps are making that statement and they're 
coming to those conclusions. I don't think all teachers are necessarily in that uh, particular camp. I think if we're looking at um, this particular bill, I think it's a bill really from our point of view is that it's going to strengthen the public schools. There's a concern out there that uh, our public schools are becoming leftist indoctrination factories. And that's a, that's a concern amongst parents that I hear about. I, I do think you saw that in the Virginia elections. Uh, and it, for example, if you look at um, the example of, of a teacher at Wheeling Park High School. Now, one of the things that was referenced there was um, a, a teacher at Wheeling Park High School referencing the works of an individual by the name of uh, Dr. Kendi. And Dr. Abram X. Kendi um, holds some some pretty radical views as far as I'm concerned. Things along the lines of to be anti-racist, you ha- that means the only way you can be anti-racist is if you're anti-capitalist. Uh, he's stated things along the lines of defunding the police. And what this bill does is it makes sure that if we're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion and so forth, that those sort of concepts don't get in there. There's nothing in this bill that prevents uh, actual history from being taught. Uh, you can talk about the evils of slavery, the evils of the Holocaust, the evils of Jim Crow, and all those things are terrible, terrible, evil things. And you can still talk about those things, and you can still talk about diversity and inclusion, but when you when you talk about those things, in your, for, and I'll use that as an example, and you're relying on someone who holds pretty radical views, we want to make sure that we really truly are focusing on diversity and inclusion, and we're not focusing on trying to uh, feed the students a, a lot of uh, propaganda about what they should be believing in terms of, the, for example, the capitalist system. I don't think that's right. I think that goes away from diversity and inclusion. And, and in terms of um, what this bill would do, I think it would actually uh, strengthen the public schools. It, it will strengthen the public schools and that it's going to uh, make sure that parents are are reassured that some of those concepts about the anti-capitalism, about defunding the police, that that's not being um, used to to sort of indoctrinate our children. I think that's a that's a real concern. And I think that if we go in that direction of um, making sure that we're we're actually focusing on real diversity and inclusion, real history. Uh, I think that that's going to be uh, a, a positive thing for our students. It's it's going to make it more likely that our our teachers and our parents are going to be to work are going to be able to work together uh, to create the best possible learning environment. And and and, and you know, I, Delegate Hornbuckle, please. Res- yeah, would you like to respond? Well, yes. And and, and while I, I do uh, respect my colleague, and he does do good work up here. Um, I would have to vehemently but respectfully disagree in saying that's just intellectually dishonest. Um, you know, a lot of his points, uh, he talked about leftists. He, he's talking about political propaganda. Uh, he didn't mention anything as far as being equitable uh, in, in this matter of the discussion. You know, we talk about history. You know, once, you know, unfortunately, I was three-fifths of a man that was written into law. Uh, that is in- inherently saying that somebody is, is superior to me. Um, you know, I would challenge the gentleman. He didn't bring that up. All right. He didn't bring up any of those types of examples that we know. He didn't bring up, uh, uh, you know, redlining. All right. The GI Bill. 
uh, where veterans that fought for our beautiful and wonderful country that I love so much, uh, they weren't able, uh, uh, the ones that were of color, black folks, weren't able to enjoy the fruits of fighting for the country like their white counterparts. Uh, and I would also say that uh, and no one here today, no one in our schools is blaming anyone um, that, that is not of color for those things. Uh, but we need to learn about them so we don't repeat the atrocities of the past. Uh, had our children have learned about uh, the 1898 insurrection of Wilmington, all right? Uh, that was an insurrection uh, in Wilmington uh, where a group of white supremacists overthrew a biracial uh, government down there. Uh, and also destroy, you know, property and businesses and things like that of, of black folks and, and killed people. Um, again, uh, neither Delegate Pritt or myself, uh, we weren't in charge of that. Both of us, we wouldn't have condoned that. But those are the types of things uh, that they are trying to deter uh, simply talking about uh, in our history, uh, which, again, we want to make sure that none of those things happen, no matter of what race, color, or creed, um, has committed those terrible crimes, we want to make sure that, that, that none of those things are repeated, but we all learn and, and all go forward. And, and I think in our present time in America, we're also stuck in this position where we're, everything's left or everything's right. Uh, it, it's just too much political football going on. Uh, and we need to just be able to have the information out there, whether you agree with it or not, but facts are facts. Thank you, gentlemen. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. House Bill 4011 passed the House Education Committee. It is now waiting consideration in the House Judiciary Committee. Delegates Chris Pritt and Sean Hornbuckle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Please join us again next Friday evening for our continuing coverage of the 2022 legislative session. We'll be discussing House Bill 4007 that is headed to the Senate. If it passes, it will reduce state income taxes by 10%. I'm Eric Douglas. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us and have a great weekend.